Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to insert a quick disclaimer. Today's topic includes mature themes that aren't suitable for all audiences, and as always, we will be discussing some pretty spooky stuff, so listeners' discretion is advised. Thank you for your understanding, and without further ado, let's get into today's episode. There is a small sector of the United States where the law of man ceases to exist and anarchy can ensue. Approximately 50 square miles from end to end, the zone of death sits inconspicuously within the confines of Yellowstone National Park, acting as an unlikely destination to commit the perfect crime. I should explain. This otherwise unsuspecting area of remote wilderness lies along the southeastern border of Idaho. Now, the Sixth Amendment grants defendants the right to a trial by jury, composed of individuals from the state and district where the crime itself was committed. So, under ordinary circumstances, any crimes perpetrated here would be tried in the state of Idaho. But as you may have guessed, these are not exactly ordinary circumstances. You see, the area in question falls within the jurisdiction of the Wyoming District Court, responsible for handling federal crimes committed within Yellowstone National Park. Consequently, a small portion of Idaho finds itself under the authority of Wyoming's court system. So, at least in theory, this peculiar arrangement effectively renders the precedent set by the Sixth Amendment null and void within the confines of the zone of death. Simply put, There is no constitutional path to trial for crimes committed here, even in the case of murder. First presented by Brian C. Colt, the theory is more of a hypothetical legal loophole than it is tangible fact. Fortunately, the theory itself has not been tested, and although no permanent solution has been presented, it's worth mentioning that there have been some efforts to amend these jurisdictional boundaries in order to address the problem. But even so, the infamous zone of death presents a rather chilling question. If you were to wander into the remote woods of Yellowstone National Park, what would you find? Simply just a dense overgrown thicket of pine and spruce with the canopy that suffocates the forest floor from the light of day. Or could it be something? a bit more ghostly. I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. To the untrained eye, the Old Faithful Inn likely appears to be anything but menacing. Settled against the picturesque landscape of Yellowstone National Park, This Grand Lodge seems to exude a sense of rustic charm and hospitality. Standing proudly near the renowned Old Faithful Geyser, the inn was designed by visionary architect Robert Reamer in 1903, and right from its inception, the inn embodied the essence of the National Park Service. Its facade drew inspiration from Swiss architecture, with wooden elements intricately crafted to create a harmonious blend of elegance and natural splendor. Likewise, the hotel's interior 
complete with a massive stone fireplace that's framed by handcrafted wooden beams, perfectly complements the chalet's design. But beyond these timberline walls, something darker remains, an energy that's only apparent in the wee hours of the morning, when the veil between this world and the next begins to dissipate. If you listen closely, you can almost hear the murmurs of startled guests, or perhaps a muffled laughter that so often emanates from room number two. Suffice to say, this landmark hotel holds a certain history, an otherworldly lore that transcends its outward appearance. But as we will soon learn, some of these stories are more chilling than others. The year was 1915, when a New York City heiress began planning her wedding. She, as is any young bride, was blissful and ecstatic for this new chapter in life. But her father, on the contrary, was not. You see, the bride's father, being a rather successful shipping tycoon, had recently made a socially acceptable marriage arrangement for his beloved daughter, only she considered herself to be a woman ahead of her time. So, she kindly declined the path her father had set, and instead followed her heart. As it turned out, the girl's love was already placed in another's hands, ones belonging to a servant of her father's. Oh, and if that wasn't enough to ruffle some high societal feathers, well, you should know that the heiress's lover was a great deal older than she. Now even in spite of the disgrace her father must have felt, he did his best to be happy for his daughter. In fact, he even gifted the couple a sizable dowry as a wedding gift, but not without one bitter condition. The bride and her groom must leave New York, never to return again. From his perspective, the ultimatum seemed like a surefire way to make his daughter reconsider her impending marriage. But all the same, the bride's desires prevailed, and in the end, her father's assumptions were proven wrong. Following the ceremony, the couple packed up their belongings. Then, without any hesitation, they set out for a new life in the American West, with their first stop being none other than Yellowstone National Park. When they first arrived at the Old Faithful Inn, the newlyweds were taken aback by the hotel's opulence. At the time, the inn was a rather new addition, nestled into the heart of Yellowstone Park. And suffice to say, the Old Faithful Inn was more or less the place to be west of the Mississippi. Now by the time that they checked in to room 127, the couple fully understood why the inn held such allure. With its lavish decor, exquisite dining rooms, and breathtaking vistas of the geyser and its vibrant surroundings, it was clear that this level of elegance was familiar territory for the heiress. And as for her groom, well, this sort of refinement was something he could surely get used to. 
if only his new father-in-law hadn't been so quick to write him off. It wasn't long before the love between the newlyweds began to fade. The groom, now blinded by the lifestyle that he felt entitled to, squandered every last penny of his wife's dowry in casinos and taverns along their way. So, by the time that the couple made it to Yellowstone, well, there wasn't enough money to cover their bill. To say the least, the bride was growing resentful of the sacrifices she had made in her husband's name. And this resentment was creating tension between them. In fact, on almost a nightly basis, hotel staff and neighboring guests heard loud arguments resonating from room 127. As the nights passed, these arguments grew violent. Furniture was thrown, insults were flying. The heiress even called her father in the hopes that he could help them out of this bind. But as I'm sure you may have guessed, her requests were denied. And so that was the final straw for the groom, who, as it appeared, couldn't take the fighting any further. So, in the end, he stormed out of the hotel, in the middle of one of those nightly screaming matches, never to be seen again. By the following morning, the once thunderous quarreling of room 127 was replaced with a deafening silence. And out of respect, the now jilted bride was given some much needed privacy, at least at first. But after several days without any movement in or out of the suite, well, hotel staff became worried about the girl's well being. Eventually, one of the maids on staff took matters into her own hands hesitantly venturing into the room in search of the bride. But instead, she found a rather chaotic scene. Scattered about the suite was an array of broken glass, torn bedding, and tattered clothes. Needless to say, the room wasn't exactly in a livable state, a fact that only caused further concern for the poor housekeeper. Then this worry turned into utter terror when the maid wandered into the bathroom, There, lying in the porcelain tub, the maid discovered none other than the bride's headless body. Blood dripped from her open neck, further staining the wedding dress that was already dyed a crimson red. A direct result of her husband's greed and ill intent. Now I'm sure you can imagine how grisly a scene this maid had unveiled. So, it was all she could do to run from the suite, screaming in horror. It took some convincing, but eventually, her colleagues were able to soothe the poor woman. And without further delay, the authorities were called. In the days that followed, room 127 was searched from top to bottom. But in spite of their efforts, investigators were never able to determine where the murderous groom had fled. And to make matters worse, the bride's head was nowhere to be found. Well, at least not at first, but that fact soon changed 
when a sickly odor began to waft down from the hotel's crow's nest, where it eventually settled in the hotel lobby. As it appeared, the groom left the old faithful inn with a grim parting gift in lieu of payment, one that forged a sinister scar on the hotel's shining reputation. Throughout my research on this topic, I couldn't help but compare the groom, who so callously took the life of his young bride within the walls of a Rocky Mountain hotel, with the homicidal literary character, known infamously as Jack Torrance. So it only seems fitting that the legend of the Headless Bride would come to this haunting end. You see, according to the accounts of countless hotel guests, the bride never left the Old Faithful Inn, even after she was reunited with her head. Instead, she still wanders the halls of this historic hotel in search of the love that betrayed her long ago. Legend has it that she often manifests herself on the staircase leading to the crow's nest. Clad in a white frilled gown, the bride is always seen clutching her own head at her side. And unmistakably, the expression on her head's face is one of profound anguish. Today, the headless bride of the Old Faithful Inn is described as being a deeply distressed spirit, one who is endlessly engaged in a futile quest for the man she thought she loved. But even in their afterlife, the groom evidently continues to abandon his bride, so she remains imprisoned in an eternal state of despair. Although this is not to say that the man got off scot-free, as he too has been entrapped by the draw of this enigmatic inn. He is said to linger, peering into windows and haunting hotel rooms, including the old honeymoon suite in room 127. On rare occasions, he is even encountered in the eerie heights of the crow's nest, the very place where he concluded his heinous crimes. Or so the legend claims. But as we all know by now, legends tend to crumble under scrutiny. And as for stories, well, sometimes it's best to keep them with their menacing characters existing only in fiction. If you have made it to this point in the episode, you've probably noticed that the details of this legend are more than a bit vague. For instance, we don't have the name for any of the major players in this story, nor do we know the date for when the couple checked into the hotel. We can't even say for certain that the insidious event actually happened. In short, there truly is no reliable way to verify the story as historical fact. But as we all know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the hauntings are any less real. After all, 
our minds have a funny way of keeping ghost stories alive, even when there's no basis for the claims they make. By now, you've heard me preach this sermon in a handful of my previous episodes, so I won't bore you with the theoretical details now. But before I step off of this soapbox, I feel as though it wouldn't be right if I didn't share the full conclusion of this tale. It was 1991, nearly a century after that harrowing night, when George Bornman did an interview with the Deseret News. At the time, Bornman was the assistant manager of the Old Faithful Inn, and unsurprisingly, he had a bit more insight when it comes to this chilling legend. He told the story, as I have just told you now, of a young heiress blinded by love and a man who only knew greed. As the interview went on, Bornman explained every last detail, from the dowry and the nightly fights right down to the blood-soaked wedding gown. He spoke of the spirits in the crow's nest. Then he concluded the interview by telling the press how this macabre story came to be. And, well, let's just say that the truth came directly from the horse's mouth. Apparently, some years prior, Bornman had crafted the legend of the Headless Bride in an effort to make the old faithful inn more mysterious and elusive. Of course, the revelation came as quite the disappointment for paranormal researchers such as myself. But you have to admit, Bornman's plan did have some effect. Now it is worth mentioning that the article covering this interview has since been removed from the Deseret News website. So who's to say where the truth really lies? Could it be that the headless bride of the Old Faithful Inn is nothing more than a fabled story designed to cast an alluring shadow upon this grand hotel? Or does it seem more likely that this very darkness was there all along? This episode of Haunts was written and produced by me, Courtney Hayes. If you've been enjoying the show so far, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. A lot of work goes into each episode, and supporting the show in this way really helps us reach more listeners each week. It's entirely free and takes about 30 seconds, and it would genuinely mean the world to me. Also, if you're interested in learning more about today's topic... I greatly encourage you to check out the show notes section on our website at hauntscast.com. This is the location where I share my sources and provide any visual aid that may be referenced during the show. Finally, I would love to connect with you online. You can find me on Instagram at hauntscast, or you can join our email list for updates about the show. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, happy haunting. <laughs>